That uh, song that we were singing comes from the book of Job, and indeed our reading this morning, Job uh, 19. If you're using the church Bibles, it's page 523, 523. Uh, Just to try to explain that this is part of a, a dialogue, question and answer, accusation and response. And this is Job's uh, reply to uh, a scathing accusation that has been put to him by his so-called friend, Bildad. And this is Job's reply. Chapter 19, verse 1. How long will you torment me and crush me with words? Ten times now you have reproached me. Shamelessly you attack me. If it is true that I have gone astray, my error remains my concern alone. If indeed you would exalt yourself above me and use my humiliation against me, then know that God has wronged me and drawn his net around me. Though I cry, I've been wronged. I get no response. Though I call for help, There is no justice. He has blocked my way so that I cannot pass. He has shrouded my paths in darkness. He has stripped me of my honor and removed the crown from my head. He tears me down on every side till I am gone. He uproots my hope like a tree. His anger burns against me. He counts me among his enemies. His troops advance in force. They build a siege against me and encamp around my tent. He has alienated my brothers from me. My acquaintances are completely estranged from me. My kinsmen have gone away. My friends have forgotten me. My guests and my maidservants count me a stranger. They look upon me as an alien. I summon my servant, but he does not answer. Though I beg him with my own mouth, My breath is offensive to my wife. I am loathsome to my brothers. Even little boys scorn me. When I appear, they ridicule me. All my intimate friends detest me. Though I love, I have, though I love, those I love have turned against me. I am nothing but skin and bones. I've escaped only by the skin of my teeth. Have pity on me, my friends. Have pity, for the hand of God has struck me. Why do you pursue me as God does? When will you never get enough of my flesh? Oh, that my words, I don't know if you would ever write your own epitaph on the graveside. Most people have to do it for their family. Job decides to do it himself. Oh, that my words were recorded and were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with iron, a tool on lead, engraved in rock forever. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I am not another. How my heart yearns within me. If you say, how we 
will hound him since the root of the trouble lies in him. You should fear the sword yourselves. For wrath will bring punishment by the sword. And then you will know that there is judgment. Two reasons why this has been allocated as low Sunday. The first is anything following the mighty resurrection is a big ask. But secondly, in the life of the church, particularly the established church, there was always a low turnout after Easter. So it was, and the clergy took a day off. So there were very few people in church and they called it Low Sunday. I'm so, so pleased so many of you are here today. Those famous words, I get by with a little help from my friends. Job wouldn't have sung that. With friends that Job had, some people might say, who needs enemies. How do we relate to our friends, truly? Let's listen to this. Around the corner I have a friend in this great city that has no end. Yet days go by and weeks rush on. And I never see my friend's face, for now life is a swift and terrible race. He knows I like him. Just as well as in the days when I rang his bell and he called too in days back then. But now we are just busy and tired men. Tired of playing a foolish game. Tired of trying to make a name. Tomorrow, I'll say, I'll call on Jim and show that I'm really thinking of him. But tomorrow comes and tomorrow goes. And the distance between us just grows and grows. Uh, that may reflect some poetic frustration. We might look around and think about other people that they seem to manage their time better. Whatever we say, whether we are passive with our friendships or active, life is short. Time is elusive. And Job is giving expression to these powerful emotions that people often think about. I get by with a little help from my friends, but Job didn't. What I'd like us to do this morning is just to see what Job is really responding to and for us to get inside the way that Job thinks and to form some of those conclusions that are positive and glorious. You will see from the reading that these immortal words in verse 25, which have inspired poets and preachers and hymn writers and painters and artists, I know that my Redeemer lives, and with a sense of defiance to his immediate circumstances, and at the end I will stand upon the earth. And though in the process of the, the body being decomposed, cremated or whatever, I will see God. Well, is it wishful thinking? 
this marks a major turning point in this remarkable dialogue. And I would really strongly suggest that sometime you would just sit down and read through the book of Job and see it as this the crisis on a person whose life's fallen apart, ill health, bereavement, injustice, unfairness, coming over upon him. And then some of his, what un, what's now proverbial, of course, Job's comforters. But in what sense can we say this, that this is a turning point? Okay. After all, in the book, are you okay, Douglas? You take right. If we go out this way and have a glass of water, I'm sure that would be good. Douglas is 90, you know, and he's a good soldier, so I'm sure... Right, so in what sense... Let's put, pause this, um, this, this question. Is this a turning point? After all, if you read the book, you will see that his circumstances are the same. And actually, if you continue to read, you will see that his suffering is increasing and his comforters are exacerbating his problem. You know, we do it, don't we? How are you? Fine. When inwardly our world is falling apart. Well, the gloves are off. And there's no pretense. And it isn't easy when you ha have that sort of encounter. So I'm suggesting to you it's a major turning point. Yet outwardly, his circumstances the same, his pain is increasing, his suffering is exacerbated, and his relationships are strained, and his confidence in God is shaken. How can God, the God of love, do this or allow this? So all of that is in his face, and yet I say to you, there is a turning point. There's a new dimension from chapter 19, verses 2 onwards. And Take this, if nothing else, from the sermon this morning. And you apply it to yourself. Chapter 19, verse 22 to 27, thereabouts, focused on what was happening to him. But from verse 25, now he's focusing on what is happening in him. Okay? 22... What's happening to him? What is happening to him is outside of his control. Sickness, injustice, bereavement, unfairness, inappropriate uh, conversations. Those are happening to him. But what's happening in him? In other words, I hope I'm, I'm laboring this point because it's pivotal to the whole sermon and it's this. How do we genuinely, truthfully re respond inwardly, react to events that are outside of our control as Christian people who believe in prayer, who believe in the love of God, and yet live out our lives in a suffering world? Uh, some time ago somebody asked me about church life. I think it was implicit in, in the question that um, this person seemed to think that this was a relatively successful church and was asking, what, what is it? And without thinking, I said this. And uh, I give it to you. He was a pastor and a leader of a church. And I said this to him. If you preach to broken hearts, 
you will never lack a congregation. Now, that's an interesting statement, isn't it? It's not from a book particularly. It's an observation of life. Because life is hard and difficult oftentimes. And there are injustices that face us. Sometimes in our face. Sometimes other people. And, and, and you wonder, how are we going to move on from all of this? Now, I'm not for one moment suggesting it's like that all the time. God is good. The, the, the world is beautiful. There are many privileges and blessings and joy unspeakable. Yes. But nevertheless, that would be my response. It's an interesting one. So let's very quickly look at three things here. And, and I put to you then, you can spend the rest of your life, and some of you sadly do, on what's happening to you and nothing else. The pivotal moment is this. How are you going to respond to what's happening to you rather than simply get stuck and complain that it's not fair? If you were to take that on board, you will be a blessing, for sure, in your marriage, in your work, in your community, and in your church. The context, as I've said to you, is Bildad, who needs a friend like Bildad, who gives a devastating character demolition on Job. Look, just very quickly, look at chapter 18. How would you like somebody to say this to you? Job chapter 18, verse 5. The lamp of the wicked is snuffed out. The flame of his, foes, of his fire stops burning. The light of his tent becomes dark. The lamp beside him goes out. The vigor of his steps are weakened. His own schemes throw him down. His feet thrust him into the net and he wanders into the mesh. A trap seizes him by the heel. Snare holds him fast and so on and so forth. And Bildad says, it's your fault. You get to verse 17 and you see this. The memory of him perishes from the earth. He has no name in the land. He is persona non grata before people, family and God. Verse 18. He is driven from light into darkness and is banished from the world. He has no offspring or descendants among the people, no survivor once he lived and so on and so forth. It's really quite devastating. And what you have in chapter 19, verses 1 to 24, is this. And it's typical, it's true of us, would be true of me, that Job's scathing response that he gives. He gives as good as he gets. And we're all good at that. Did you know that Job, chapter 19, is reputed to be one of the saddest verses in the Old Testament? Possibly the Bible. And Job's agony, you see in Job chapter 19, 1 to 4, Bildad crushed him, crushed him with total verbal abuse. And in verses 6 and 7, 9 to 11, God is against me. I wonder if you've actually said that. God is against me. There is no justice. There's no fairness. There's no hope. There is no future. What's the point? And then verses 13 to 15, his friends have abandoned him. And verses 21 to 22, comforters so-called, and that's a play on words, isn't it? And it's proverbial now, Job's comforters are against him. Now, do you get this picture of despair 
of raw emotion. And because of this all-consuming injustice, he says, I want to write my epitaph. What would you want to write on your gravestone? Well, verses 23 to 24, it's not paper and ink, it's etched in stone. And there you have it. That's the context. And very quickly, what's this confidence that begins to emerge from this? Verses 25 to 27, this idea of a redeemer. Who is this? What is this? Well, it's one who acts as a go-between. A go-between to restore, often to restore land that needed to be redeemed back. If people became bankrupt, it wasn't that you just went to the banks. You were sold yourself and your land until you were able to buy it back. Or you had a member of the family who was your kinsman redeemer who would do it for you. Job has neither. He has nothing. And yet, he has everything. And this, if um, it's right that Job is one of the earliest books in the Old Testament, it's quite remarkable. This is almost a, a, a prophecy which is messianic. He has a redeemer. So he's not just thinking about land which he lost and being impoverished and injustice. But to be redeemed from slavery even, to buy back. And there are many references to that in the Old Testament. So a redeemer is one who can vindicate somebody else, even in the face of death. I do want you to look at one reference because it's quite interesting and this has influenced the, the, uh, the modern legal system that we enjoy in this country. In the book of Numbers... Numbers 35. Just to think about this. All right? We're thinking about a redeemer, one who can buy back from slavery, one, can, one who can vindicate or represent you, even in the face of death. And in Numbers 35, this is page 176 in your church Bibles, is the introduction of the cities of refuge. And in verse uh, 9... Then the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you cross the Jordan into Canaan, select some towns to be your cities of refuge, to which a person who has killed someone accidentally may flee. Now, our, our legal system makes a distinction between deliberate murder and manslaughter. I had to recommend not so long ago somebody to go to a place which is a, a refuge for domestic violence. And it was only the police and, and local authority who knew about this. It's like the equivalent of a city of refuge, a safe place. But this, and then you can, you can read on about um, how somebody can come before the avenger comes and takes your life. And then, of course, if you were to read on, if somebody deliberately kills somebody, and it makes the distinction there. But nevertheless, it's this whole idea of a redeemer who represents you, whether it's to your land, whether it's to your family, or inadvertently an accident, like today, a car accident or something like that. Manslaughter or unintentional homicide, the distinction is made. When you put all this together, you appreciate what Job is saying. Sorry to labor the point, but you see what he's saying. In the face of all of that, my hope, my refuge, my confidence is in God alone. 
That's a very powerful statement. He says, I have lost everything, but God will redeem me. He had, in his impetuosity, accused God of being uncaring and unfair. Maybe we've done that. And the only thing we should do with that is to repent and ask for his forgiveness. I've lost everything. God will redeem me. I am dying. And if you read the accounts of his torment physically, but God will restore me. Verse 26. My kinsman redeemer, one alongside me, one who stands, this is it, one who stands between me and God, a mediator, but one who can speak for God and speak for me at the same time. Now, you know what I'm saying, for those of you who know the New Testament. And this is mighty and awesome. One who lives, one who never dies, one who will represent me to God. Now then, let's come back and we'll come to a conclusion in a moment. Can we make the connection? And the connections in church are very important. Here you are today. Here you are. Here I am. Things that are happening to you now at this point in your life. What is happening in us is of far more significance than what is happening to us. I don't doubt you, like me, might say with Job, it's not fair, and all those things, and much more. And I guess that is the connection of faith, ultimately. That whilst I can't make sense or reason, I know. And that's the confidence of faith, it's not the arrogance of faith at all. It's a very humbling thing, that in the face of all this uncertainty, I make the connection that what is happening in me now is of more importance than what is happening to me. What's happening to me often is outside of my control. Here I am going through suddenly struck with ill health. Suddenly a bereavement in the family. Suddenly unemployed. Suddenly financial catastrophe. What's my response to that? And that's where we come to our conclusion. This is, and I think this is very significant. It's not the constant crying, almost carping request for explanation. You know the way you talk to people where they say, unless this, I'm not going to believe. That's very helpful, isn't it? God, you've got to come down to my level, to my reasoning, to my understanding. Otherwise, I'm not going to believe in you. Thanks very much. And what sort of faith would that be if we were to acquiesce to that pressure? This is not a constant cry for explanation, but it's an added dimension here of encounter. And that's where you get into the spirit of this. I know that my Redeemer lives, and in the end he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been destroyed, in my flesh I will see God, I and not another. Now that's quite something, isn't it? That is amazing for Low Sunday. With all these things that are happening. And from the New Testament, you will see there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who has died and has risen and is alive 
and is interceding for us. Jesus is my kinsman redeemer. He's one with me and he's one with God. And he bridges that chasm of life's experience. And therefore, what is happening in me in my response to events is a very powerful thing. We often sing, don't we, that uh, uh, hymn before the throne of God above. I have a strong, a perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. And he does. We go on to sing this because the sinless Savior died. Think of the kinsman redeemer. My sinful soul is counted free. God the just is satisfied to look on Jesus and reach out and forgive me. And so, the oldest book in the Old Testament is anticipating the coming of Jesus Christ, our kinsman redeemer. Yes, Job is still seeking answers. Fair enough. But, yeah, he's not living happily ever after. He is still seeking answers. But he's not sulking. He's not embittered. He is genuinely repentant that he said things in haste about God that was wrong. He's still struggling. So there you see him. He's seen his Redeemer. He's not seeking in that sense He's trusting. He's not sinking and struggling under the weight of his experiences. So I want to conclude by asking you, now then, here's the connection. Do you know this Redeemer? So that you could say in your circumstance... And I'm sure they, they are varied in intensity and injustice and all of that. Face your experiences. Your ghosts, if you like. And say, I know that my Redeemer lives. And take this sovereign suffering Redeemer there and let him reclaim his rightful place in your life. This Redeemer reconciling, redeeming and it becomes the turning point. Yes, the circumstances are the same or they might even get worse. But something's happening in me that makes me say, I know I know.